0: In the radio looks lucid i'm your host steve matthews thanks for joining me for episode 75 the title of this episode is elite to people shut up and obey well welcome to the the podcast here this is the second podcast already the second podcast i've done here in january of 2022 well it's i think it's practically 2023 it's amazing how how fast uh, time flies right hey you know I, i'm not a huge fan of winter. And, of course, we're really just getting winter kicked off here in Cincinnati. But, you know, one thing that I, I like to look at is I like to look at uh, at the uh, the sunset and the sunrise. That's always something I just kind of encourage myself this time of year because you gain about a minute of sunlight in the morning and a minute in the evening. So you're picking up about, uh, well, about two minutes a day between now and June the 21st. And when I I looked at the other day, I think it was a a day or two back, I noticed that the sunset was at 5.31 p.m. Now, back on December 31st, it was sunset at 5.15 p.m. So we picked up 16 minutes of daylight in the evening. That means we picked up 16 minutes of daylight in the morning. That means we picked up a total of 32 minutes, over half an hour of daytime here in just the, the past few weeks. I guess, what, it's about three weeks now? I guess since the, the 21st or almost three weeks, not quite three weeks. So that's kind of encouraging. You know, when the, when the weather's cold out there, when you got snow blowing around and all that other stuff, I think, eh, the light keeps getting, staying a, a little bit more light every single day. And I use that as a way of sort of encouraging myself, especially through the months of January and February, because quite frankly, the weather's not really all that great in Cincinnati in, in January and February. You know, I had that day. It was a, I guess a couple of days after Christmas, like the Monday after Christmas, I think the 27th, where it was 70 degrees out. And I actually went biking. I wore a short sleeve and, and shorts, and I went biking. And you know, I didn't have to wear any kind of winter gear, any kind of anything like that, which is pretty amazing. It's hard to believe I was doing that just a couple of weeks ago. And then I think it was yesterday. I got up pretty early in the morning. It was nine degrees out. <laughs> So that's a pretty big change in a a very short period of time. But, you know, it is January and, well, you know, single digit temperatures, they do happen around here. We did have a little bit of snow this week, too, and it, it really didn't amount to all that much. I mean, it was quite literally a dusting. And it's kind of weird how snow works around here because... It seems like, and and I don't have any stats here to to back me up on this. I'm just kind of going by gut feel on this. But it always seems like when these big storms come through, they either go south of us through Kentucky or they go north of us through Ohio. But for some reason, it always seems like there's this gap right where I am. And somehow snow either misses us one way or the other. Like they had that really big snow I think it was about well, it was early earlier this week, and that was one that it, it snowed in I ninety five over there in in Virginia, and all those people got trapped and and they were up in arms. I think there were some even some important government officials uh, actually got stuck in the snow, and they had to suffer, I guess, along with the, with uh, with the plebes. <laughs> and yeah, so there was a there was a big stink about that, but that that whole system it went south from uh, south of us through Kentucky. We didn't get a get so much as even a flake. On Thursday, we did get a little bit of snow, but like I say, it was just a really light dusting. All the heavy stuff stayed down in Kentucky, so they're quite welcome to it. You know, there's really not as much advantage to having snow as there used to be. And of course, when I was a kid, you know, it was snow days, you know, yay, snow days. I mean, there was, I mean, there was nothing better. Than getting a snow day because you don't you don't expect it you're not planning on it. you're kind of hoping for it but you never know if you're really actually going to get it or not and and in those days when we would get it oh, that was just that was like the best thing ever that was better than Christmas as far as I was concerned there's nothing I love more than getting a snow day when I was a kid and you know when I was of course you get to be an adult and you're working it's you have to have a lot more severe kind of condition in order to get any kind of time off because of snow well. I never really. I think maybe on one or two occasions I had maybe a day shortened by snow, but pretty much when you're an adult, that that kind of goes out the window. You know, you just you just don't get a whole lot of benefits out of snow, but you get all the you get all the the negative side of it. You got to go out and shovel and and all this other stuff. And and of course, the last couple of years I was working from home, and when you're working from home, obviously you're not going to get a snow day. It's like you get in there and you get your monitor on and you get to work. So yeah, whatever. So, I mean, really, there's not a whole lot of benefit to snow at my age, which is unfortunate. But, you know, sometimes I, I do like a little bit of it, but not too much. Let's see here. Oh, and you know, the other thing, too, about snow days is how much they've changed. I mean, it used to be, of course, way back in they day when I was a kid – what you did, you know, how did you find out whether you had a delay or you were off? Well, you had to listen to the radio, and they'd read through the whole list of all the schools that were off or on delays, and you'd wait for your school district to be called. And either it would be the the thrill of victory, you get the day off, or it would be the agony of defeat. They wouldn't call your your school's name, and and then of course you'd think, well, all these other people are getting off, and I got to go to school. Well, yeah, you know, that's an early lesson that life can be unfair sometimes. There's no question about it. I guess now probably what they do is either they go online or maybe they even get a text alert. I don't know. When I at my uh, at my job, you know, they had a set up with a text alert if there was any kind of cancellations or delays or anything like that. So I suppose probably schools do that too. Uh, now, anyway, so enough about that. So back to the uh, the topic, and this was what I was going to talk about here today. There's a uh, I, I took the title of this particular. Podcast from a, a pretty famous headline. In fact, I think this is probably one of the most famous newspaper headlines, maybe in at least American journalism history. And I've got it up here on the on the screen. And it's this headline is from 1975 in the New York Daily News. And the headline is pretty terse, and it just reads this: "Ford to City Drop Dead." Sub is: "Vows He'll Veto Any Bailout." So back in 1975. New York City was on the brink of of going bankrupt and they were begging for a bailout from the federal government. Gerald Ford was president at the time and he refused to bail them out. Interestingly enough, I'm sure that wouldn't happen today, but back in 1975, a president could still refuse to bail out a city, even New York City. And so they ran this headline, Ford to City, Drop Dead. Well, Gerald Ford never never told New York City to go drop dead. But what he did do is... Yeah, let's see oh, well, hi Jennifer, thanks for uh, thanks for stopping by. I appreciate that. See her in the the live stream chat there, Jennifer, Thanks for stopping by. I always appreciate that. And uh, anyway, so Gerald Ford, yeah, he uh, he he denied denied the uh, the bailout. And so the New York Daily News, they come up with this headline and and uh, I guess they wanted to be a little bit dramatic. They wanted to grab people's attention. So Ford the city dropped dead and and that uh, has been a, a famous headline ever since then. It was done on October 30th, 1975 by the, the New York Daily News. So there's that. So anyway, that's kind of the inspiration for today's title, which is Elite to People, Shut Up and Obey. It's kind of the same sort of a thing. And, and this is one of the, I, I think one of the things that's very disturbing to me about the way... The, uh, the way politics is handled today. I mean, it used to be that politicians, at least, and maybe some of them still do, but uh, more and more it seems like what we get is we get diktats from on high rather than anyone trying to to persuade us. And I find that very disturbing. And there are several examples of this going on right now, and I wanted to just go through a few of these examples and, and, and show you exactly what I'm talking about. Example number one of Shut Up and Obey is this whole stink over COVID. Now, in my opinion, and I'm giving you my opinion here, I think it's uh, an elite globalist type of an operation where we're told by governments, news outlets, social media, the entertainment industry, schools, universities, and sadly, a lot of churches, even those that claim to be Bible-believing churches, that we all must be masked up, vaxxed, and stripped of our rights to stop the spread. You know, And if we don't go along with that, we're killing grandma and we're the problem. And uh, just as an example of that sort of thing, there was a, a headline, and this goes back to, let's see, it was, okay, November, it was dated November 12th, 2021. This is from the New York Times. And I've got that up there on the, the live stream on the screen. Headline says, Biden mandates vaccines for workers, saying, our patience is wearing thin. Initially reluctant to enact mandates, President is now moving aggressively to require vaccination as the Delta variant races across the country. Well, you know, here it is. It's two months later and everybody's forgotten about the Delta variant. Now it's Omicron, 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 Omicron. It's all Omicron all the time. You know, how quickly these things move, you know, and of course, Biden had promised uh, months earlier, oh, there's not going to be any kind of, there's not going to be any mandate. Oh, no, no, no. And then he gets up there and he decides he wants to lecture the Americans and tell them, you know, that the patience is wearing thin. There's no good reason for them not to have been been vaccinated. Your refusal has cost us all. He's talking about those who are not vaccinated. I mean, where do presidents? I mean, no president has ever talked to the American people like that in my lifetime. I mean, who does this guy think he is? yeah you know, he thinks he's I don't know, he thinks he's Pharaoh, he thinks he's i I don't know the the king of Siam or something. I mean the the arrogance, the extraordinary arrogance that that comes out of his mouth is is frankly just truly shocking to me. I mean this is not the kind of government that the United States was set up to have. This is not somebody who's displaying who who's behaving like a servant leader of any sort of any sort. Now, in my opinion, there's a number of problems here that with, with the whole COVID issue. And I think there's some very, very good reasons why people would be hesitant to take the vaccine. I mean, we know, number one, that the government, you know, through Tony Fauci, funded the development uh, of, the, uh, of the COVID virus. They funded gain-of-function research at the Wuhan Institute of Virology. In my opinion, I don't have proof to back this up, but I'm simply just I, I think based on the entire COVID narrative being a a, a construct, being a pandemic, as some people call it, that I think it was released also by government officials at a time of their choosing. I think it was probably in part, it was part of the rig of the 2020 election. It was in, in the reason I say that is because it was used as excuse for changing election day into election month. Massive mail-in ballots, which created all kinds of room for the Democrats to create fraud. Governments locked down healthy people and lied that it was 15 days to slow the spread. Never, as far as I am aware, has there ever been a case where you have quarantined healthy people. I mean, the the, the basic idea behind quarantines is you quarantine the sick. You don't quarantine healthy people. You see that all the way back in, in Scripture when it talks in Leviticus about the, the laws of uh, dealing with, with leprosy. There was no provision to lock down all of Israel to prevent the spread of leprosy. No, I mean, if there was a law and someone could be quarantined, but that person first had to voluntarily come forward. He, didn't have, he wasn't forcibly test. He voluntarily came forward, showed himself to the priest. He was examined by the priest. If he was found to be... With leprosy, at that point, yes, he was, was quarantined until such time as, as he was better, until such time as he had had recovered from the disease. But there wasn't any general lockdown of Israel to prevent the spread of leprosy. That didn't occur. And this has always been the way that diseases have been handled, or at least that's the standard practice, and that's the proper practice. You don't punish people with quarantines who aren't sick. So, I mean, the fact that the government did do that is, I think, quite alarming. And and I think that ought to send up red flags and say and and, and tell you, hey, there's a problem here. Something's not right. There's something going on. Maybe there's an ulterior motive, which I think that there is. Mask mandates and mask mandates do nothing to prevent the spread. You know, the the virus easily goes through the masks. That's admitted, I think even, I don't think there's a single study out there that shows that masks do any good. And when those people who are actually being honest about it will tell you that, it doesn't help. But those mask mandates have helped to bring about what Dr. Robert Malone called mass formation psychosis, which is essentially driving an an entire society mad. Then you've got the vaccine mandates not just in the United States, or at least Biden is attempting to initiate one here in the United States, but you've got them all over the world. Austria is talking about implementing vaccine mandates. So is Italy. So is, you know, I think the Great Britain has done that. I know Germany has talked about doing that. There are huge threats of punishments and all this in Australia if you don't get vaccinated. Uh, Demands to set up vaccine Passports. So not only do you have to get vaccinated, but if you want to just engage in normal activities, if you don't have a vaccine and you haven't been vaccinated, you can't buy or sell. I mean, that whole thing with COVID, I mean, it sounds to me like these politicians have taken their policy prescriptions straight out of the book of Revelation. No one may buy or sell unless he receives the mark of the beast. Well, no one may buy or sell unless he's vaxxed. and, And I would say to politicians, I mean, if you are really thinking seriously and and speaking this way, you really need to go back and rethink your ideas because you're, frankly, what you're doing is tyrannical and it is terrifying. And people do not trust you. You know, there was a great quote. This is Patrick Henry. He says this. He says, Guard with jealous attention the public liberty. Suspect everyone who approaches that jewel. That was Patrick Henry. And he was absolutely right about that. And the threats to our, our liberties, to our lives, from these COVID nuts, ought to set off screaming alarm bells in everybody's head. You know, these people are approaching the jewel of liberty, and they are trying to take it from you. They're trying to take your liberty, and then they want to sell it back to you bit by bit. That's what they're looking to do. And these people cannot be, they must not be allowed to get away with this. And they have to be rebuked from the Word of God. For their tyranny. And this nonsense that somehow, unless you go along with them, unless you accept their arbitrary diktats, that somehow you can't buy or sell is absolutely evil. It's one of the vilest things that I've ever heard. And the thing is, of course, anyone who speaks out against that narrative is canceled. You're removed from social media, you're publicly shamed. For instance, you know, the. There was a, a big stink here recently. This is the latest example. I mentioned Dr. Robert Malone before. He's someone who is credited, he's got the patents apparently on the mRNA technology that underlies the the COVID vaccines. And I think it was on the 31st of of December. So it was just well, I guess what? About what a week ago? Roughly a week ago, I guess eight days ago, he went on the Joe Rogan show, gave a three hour interview. And I'm going to actually put the link to the interview in the show notes here in case you like it. He went on, he's um, Joe Rogan is on Spotify and I was listening to today. I think I listened about the first two hours of it so far, but it's an interesting interview, but he, Robert Malone was canceled. He was pulled off of Twitter and he doesn't even know particularly what comment he made that got him kicked off Twitter. Twitter doesn't tell people. And this is the kind of thing that is deeply disturbing, and it makes me suspect the people who are pushing this narrative. I mean, when you cannot discuss science, when you cannot question scientific results, that's not science anymore. That's propaganda. You know, that's dogma. That's like medieval dogma. I think Aaron Rodgers, the quarterback of the Green Bay Packers, said something like that. He said, you know, if you can't question science, it's not science anymore. It's what he's called. Yeah, I think he called it propaganda. He said, it's not science. It's not propaganda. It's superstition. So the idea that you somehow you can't question science, and if you do, you're going to get flushed down the memory hole. You're going to have your accounts pulled. You're going to be canceled. You're going to be shamed. You're going to be unpersoned. I guess that's like what they used to do in the Soviet Union, they used to unperson people. That is, that right there, once again, makes me question every single thing these people who are pushing the vaccines are doing. I mean, just for a thought experiment for a moment, I mean, you could say, well, let's suppose for a moment that the vaccines were 100% perfectly safe. They were no more dangerous than, say, getting a shot of, say, saline solution. So it's guaranteed that nothing bad could happen if you got a, a COVID vaccine. I still wouldn't take it just because they have linked my liberty to my doing this. And they have acted in such an under, underhanded way, in such a guilty way. I mean, I, I have never seen people look more guilty than, than what Tony Fauci and these other people who are pushing the, the vaccine mandates look. I mean, it, I think some of it is, is driven by money, certainly profit-driven. I don't think there's any question about that. But I think there's something more to it. I mean, and when you start trying to institute these these vaccine passports, when you start trying to say, well, you can't have a job if you're not vaccinated, or you can't go to the store if you're not vaccinated, or you can't fly on an airplane if you're not vaccinated, there's a darker agenda at work here. Especially when you look at the fact that these vaccines do not do what they say they do. The basic rule is, the more vaccines, the more COVID. The more vaccines, the more COVID. You know, there was a... It was kind of interesting. I'm going to see if I can find this here. Maybe I can bring this up while I'm talking. But there are are certain countries that are... Oh, I I, I guess you might call them uh, almost test cases for all of the... uh, I guess I'm not going to be able to do it cuz I'm not logged into my account. But there was a, a chart that I saw the other day and it was it was of the uh, the covid cases in Israel. And covid cases in Israel are now at an all-time high and most of the people in Israel have not had one shot, not two shots, not three shots, but actually four shots. They've been they're they're double boosted now and they've got covid cases soaring through the roof. So again, you know, how effective are these vaccines? I don't think they're very effective. They don't seem to be. And on top of that, they're pretty darn dangerous. You know, the the FDA historically has used the the two criteria for drugs are safe and effective. Well, when I'm looking at the results of these vaccines, it appears that they are neither. One of those. And it's surrounded by a lot of mystery, a lot of mandates, and a, a lot of attacks on basic liberties. And this entire thing screams red flags all over the place, and I do not trust the people who are pushing them. And as I said, I would not accept a a, a saline solution injection from Anthony Fauci because I do not trust him. He has forfeited the public trust with contradictory uh, contradictory statements, with mandates, with you know all of the. Just, uh, I mean, if, if we followed Anthony Fauci, I mean, it would be, you know, this would be the most depressing, boring country, most, <laughs> most oppressed country that, that you can imagine. It would be absolute tyranny. I mean, notice here, here's the thing, you know, evangelical Christians used to always get this bad rap that they were out to ruin everybody's fun. Oh, you know, you Christians, you just, you know, you want to, want to take away everybody's fun. You know, it's, you're always complaining about, you know, all the, the immorality of this or that or the other thing. Well, let me ask you this, you know, who is pushing lockdowns? Who is pushing fear? Who is lying? Who is contradicting themselves? It's not the people that are standing up against these uh, these COVID mandates. It's not the evangelical Christians who want to go to church. You know, people like, say, John MacArthur uh, at uh, Grace Community Church out there in L.A., and they never stopped holding church throughout the entire pandemic. And they want a judgment in court against the state. I think, and against the city of Los Angeles. That's not to endorse everything that, that John MacArthur's ever said or done. I have my disagreements with him. But he was definitely right about that. And he was definitely right to take the stand that he did. And it's not evangelical Christians who are pushing COVID tyranny. You know, it's all these these people who like to posit themselves as you know liberals. Oh, you know, we just want everybody to be free and and flourish. You know, we don't always stodgy old rules and regulations and blah blah blah. Well, I mean, these are the very people that are cracking down on liberty and destroying it. Now, it looks right now like the Supreme Court. And I'm going to bring this up here. Yeah, this is a this is a story on. CNN says, Supreme Court appears poised to block Biden's vaccine and testing rules for businesses. Well, that's good because the tyrant Biden wants to force everybody who works for a company with 100 or more employees to get the vaccine. And if you don't get the vaccine, you can't work. You cannot sell your labor into the market. You cannot earn money to be able to go buy things. You can't buy or sell. You're completely locked out of mainstream society because you don't want to take this unsafe and ineffective vaccine. Hopefully, let's pray that, that the Supreme Court does, uh, does uh, do what this headline says that they're probably going to do. But here's the thing that concerns me it says, but in a separate challenge, some justices seem more open to a vaccine mandate aimed at certain healthcare workers. Well, I don't think healthcare workers should be mandated to take vaccines either. They have rights just like everybody else. The, the truth is, there's, not, there's nothing, there's not one statement anywhere in the Constitution that speaks about vaccines or required medical care. There's no authority in the fe- given to the federal government to do these kinds of things. It's a principle of, you know, if it's not given, it's not given. That authority does not exist. It's pretend authority, and they are trying to steal Joe Biden and his his, his, his the people that, uh, that work for him and his regime are trying to steal our liberties and then parcel it back to us. And as Christians, we have to rebuke these people. We have to rebuke them from the Word of God using logic, and we can't back down. And we have to keep speaking out about this. We have to keep writing. We have to keep uh, doing the things, talking to our neighbors, talking to our friends. We can't lay down on this. You know, we have a we have a job to stand up for liberty. So that's shut up and obey number one. Now, shut up and obey number two is uh, is election fraud. There was a let's see here got the story here oh yeah here it is this is a in fact this is from today january 8th 2022 this is a, an article by jonathan turley who's a pretty well-known public well he's a he's a law professor i think at george washington university and he's pretty well known as a public commentator i think he shows up on a lot of tv uh, stations and he appears on fox news he's got his own this very popular blog that he has And here's the article that he posted here from today. Democratic governor calls for criminalizing, lying about election results. Now, one of the things that's interesting is that Jonathan Turley himself is a Democrat, but unlike most of his fellow Democrats today, he's actually pretty good. He's actually he's quite good on the issue of of free speech. Let's read a little bit of his article here and then we'll we'll comment on it. So this is a quote, quote, for years, I've lamented how the Democratic Party has embraced censorship and the criminalization of speech. I come from a liberal Democratic family in Chicago, and the Democratic Party once championed free speech as the defining value of the party. Democratic politicians now lead calls for censorship to silence their opponents and corporate regulations to protect citizens from dangerous choices and reading material. Insert there. I think he's been a little sarcastic about that. So uh, Turley continues here, quote, The same concerns were raised this week after Washington Governor Jay Inslee called for the criminalization of lies, quote, lies, about election results. Inslee wants to convict people who raise election challenges or allegations. Such a law would threaten political speech and create a chilling effect for those who want to raise such concerns in contested elections. Inslee made his comments as part of the January 6th anniversary. It appears to follow Speaker Nancy Pelosi's directive for Democrats to preserve the narrative of that day. According to the Seattle Times, Inslee declared that it should not be legal in the state of Washington for elected officials or candidates for office to willfully lie about these election results. He would make such comments a gross misdemeanor subject to incarceration. Okay, so end in, in quote of all that. So, so this Democratic governor wants to uh, toss people in jail uh, for... I guess, willfully lying about election results. Of course, the problem is, you know, who's going to determine whether they're lying or not? You know, that's the real question here. And, and uh, Turley acknowledges that. He, Turley continues here. He says, quote, such a criminal law would be ripe for abuse and would create a chilling effect that would be positively glacial. We have seen other Democratic leaders use the criminal process to, in similarly, similarly reckless fashion. This country has a long history of election fraud from Tammany Hall in New York to the Daily Machine in Chicago. Raising doubts over such elections often forces greater public scrutiny and marshals resources to contest results. Indeed, Democratic lawyers like Mark Elias have challenged Republican victories as he and others denounce such GOP challenges as attacks on democracy. End quote. Now, I think it's very interesting here. That, of course, and again, Turley is a Democrat, but he he strikes me, and I, I have some my disagreements with him on some things. But I believe he's a fair-minded man, and he is really good on the on, on free speech. And he he freely admits here he talks about this country has a long history of election fraud. And it's just really interesting he talks about Tammany Hall in New York and a Daily Machine in Chicago. Now, both of those political machines were you know, Roman Catholic controlled. And they were famously massively fraudulent you know, if, if we're to take Inslee's approach to things, nobody would ever be able to see anything about that. yeah you, know, you could send your thugs out and and steal an election and I, you, you just have to sit there in your hands I, I guess and sit there quietly and I guess uh, applaud politely you know when the when the winners announced and even though you there's su- substantial evidence that, that he won by fraud. So, I mean, you've got this Democratic governor out there, you know, he actually wants to make free speech, uh, he wants to criminalize it. You know, the First Amendment was not put in the Constitution so we could talk about the weather, or maybe, you know, argue about, you know, who's the best baseball player, or who's going to win the Super Bowl or something like that. That's not why it's there. It's put there to protect people to be able to talk about difficult things, about things that are unpopular. I mean, this governor wants to attack the First Amendment. And I, I think that's an absolute outrage. You know, again, it's just shut up and obey. This is the way it is. And all you people out there that have questions, silence. Just go away, pleb. Go away, peon. You know, send the, the unwashed hoi polloi back to their homes. And we're just going to do what it is we want to do. And you just have to accept it. And, and that's just the way it is. And you know, we're not even going to argue or discuss it, discuss it with you. So, I mean, the 2020 presidential election thing, if Inslee were to get his way, and I don't think he probably will, but if he does get his way, that's another thing that you're not allowed to talk about. It's just a baseless conspiracy theory. Now, in my opinion, and this is an opinion, but in my opinion, there is more than enough reason to question the 2020 presidential uh, election results. There There are several statistical oddities. I mean, one of them is that Donald Trump won... 18 of 19 what they call bellwether counties. And these were counties that every year from 1980 through 2016 always picked the the winner of the, the presidential election. So, I mean, that's 1980, 84, 88, 92, 96, 2000, 2004, 2008, 2012, 2016. So that's, that's what? Did I count that right? Is that 15? 15 presidential election cycles. Let's see. I'm going to do that again. 80, uh, 80, 84, 88, 92, 96, 2000, 2004, 2008, 2012, 2000. Uh, that's 10. I'm sorry. So for 10 straight elections. And then, in fact, this one county here, this is, a, this is the Wall Street Journal. It says Vigo County in Indiana previously sided with the White House winner in all 16 elections since 1956. So that's even more. This one particular county goes back to the 1950s, but in 2020, these bellwether counties failed except for one to pick the uh, to pick the winner of the 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 presidential election. So that's pretty weird. I mean, when Donald Trump wins 18 of 19 bellwether counties and loses the election, that's kind of weird. Now, does that in and of itself is that slam dunk proof that that uh, Joe Biden or that that Donald Trump was cheated in the election? Well, no. I mean, you can, you can find some other explanations for that. But it's not nothing. It's a data point. And let's continue to build our case here. Here's here's another another uh, item. This is a headline here. This is from the uh, Quad Cities newspaper, I guess out in Iowa. It's got kind of a headline that says, Trump not first to win Iowa, Florida, and Ohio and lose the election. President, and this is from December 11th, 2020, so about a month after the the election, says President Donald Trump on Thursday claimed that no presidential candidate ever came close to losing an election who won Iowa, Florida, and Ohio. That is wrong. With less than five minutes of research, anyone, even Trump, could discover that Richard Nixon won Iowa, Florida, and Ohio in 1960 but lost the election to John F. Kennedy. Well, you know what's interesting about that? Now, I, I know the Quad Cities want you to think that they just dunked on on Donald Trump's head or or dunked on the head of any Republican out there who who thinks that Donald Trump won the election as as I do. They think that they dunked under head, but it's really not as much of a slam dunk as they think. You know, and here's why. They go back to the 1960 election. Well, the 1960 election was famously fraudulent. There was l- a lot of indication that that election was stolen in 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 Chicago and stolen in Texas. There was a a man uh, Earl Mazzo, he was was a journalist with the New York, I think it's New York Herald Tribune. I'm going back to memory here. I think that's the correct newspaper. But I, I read a comment. He, he wrote a series of articles talking about the election theft back in 1960 in the month or two after the election. And he was going to write a 12-part series, and he was told to cease and desist. I guess the order came down on high. But he was finding all kinds of serious election irregularities. And of course, he went to Chicago. Now, Chicago was run by the Roman Catholic Daily Machine, which even Jonathan Turley admits was famous for being fraudulent. So it's not at all surprising that there, was the, that, that there were election irregularities in Chicago in the 1960 election. It's not at all surprising. And later, and I think Earl Mazzo is deceased now, but I read an interview with him. I I think it was maybe in the Washington Post. I've got it somewhere. I, I don't have it handy here. But he made the comment in 2000. He was still alive at that time in 2000. He said that they stole it like crazy. They stole it like crazy in Chicago and in Texas. Those are his exact words, or I think pretty close to his exact words. So, yeah, I mean, you've got this, this Quad Cities going back and saying, well, you know, Richard Nixon won, Iowa won in Ohio and Florida in 1960. He lost. Well, yeah, he lost because that was a fraudulent election. If anything, I think it maybe strengthens the uh, Donald Trump's case that, that he was cheated out of the election. Again, we're talking here about opinion. We're talking about strengthening the case. Now, does that absolutely, is that the only possible explanation that you can put on that? No, you could, you could come up with other explanations. But what we're trying to do is determine what seems likely. So let's move on to another data point here. Well, fact check, Biden campaign events portrayed as small, lack context of COVID-19 guidelines. Okay, so this is one of the things that was really interesting about the, uh, the 2020 presidential election is that, that Joe Biden had these just pathetic jokes of, of campaign rallies. You know, here's, here's Joe Biden. I'm see if I can blow that up a little bit here and make that a little clearer. Okay. And yeah, maybe that's a little bit better. So you can see here, here. Here's Joe Biden, and you got a few people here. This is about the most pathetic thing I've ever seen. They're sitting here, socially distanced in these these white circles on these these look like these kind of office chairs. And look at this. I mean, I, I don't know exactly how many people here. I can count one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. Yeah, maybe a dozen people. I don't know. Maybe there's a there's a few more there. But I mean, what an absolute complete farce this is. It's just pathetic. I mean, this is a guy that would go high, you know, they called him basement Joe and it's because he would, he would, would disappear uh, for most of the day. And in fact, there's a, a term that's used apparently. I had not heard it before the last election cycle, but I guess there's a term that candidates use. They talk about putting a lid on it. And what putting a lid on it means is they would, when, when you do that, they would have somebody from the campaign call the press and they'd say, we're putting the lid on the campaign for the day. That means we're not going to campaign anymore. You know, we're, we're done for the day. You know, we're going home, get some dinner, get some sleep, whatever. Well, Joe Biden was calling a lid on his campaigns very often by 9 or 10 o'clock in the morning. In other words, he wasn't doing anything. Yeah, he was basically uh, (laughs) confined, quote, to his basement. I mean, if not literally his basement, he definitely wasn't in the public eye. So this is a a Joe Biden campaign rally. So let's take a look at a Trump campaign rally. So here we go. Here's here's a Trump rally. This is from, let's see, this was a Johnstown, Pennsylvania, October 13th, 2020. You can see Air Force One here in the background. It was a great big, uh, well, I guess it's not, I was going to say it's a 747. That's not a 747. But it's a great big airplane back there, you know, full sized, uh, airliner. And, and you can see how big the crowd is. I mean, look at this. I, th- I don't know for sure. This may have been the one where they had a crowd of 40,000 people. Uh, if it wasn't 40,000, let's just say this. It's a big crowd. Certainly a whole lot more than the dozen or so people that Joe Biden had show up. So, I mean, Joe Biden can't hardly fill a, a <laughs> even a parking lot of any size. And, and, Donald Trump's packing them in here at these rallies. Now, of course, what they would say is, oh, it's a difference in the in the way they, they approached uh, the these campaigns approach COVID. I think I say nonsense on that. Back in 2016, it was exactly the same thing. You know, Hillary Clinton had a hard time filling a high school gym where Donald Trump would get, you know, tens of thousands, literally tens of thousands of people at his rally. This is not normal. This whole thing with these huge rallies for Donald Trump, that is not normal. I I don't think I've ever seen a presidential candidate get the kind of groundswell, really almost spontaneous report. And I I think it is spontaneous support from people. I've never seen that. Maybe there's other cases of it. I can't think of any, though. So there's another, there's another data point. Crowd size. Let's move on to another one. Here's a Gallup poll. This is a Gallup poll that was taken toward the end of 2020. And here's the headline: Donald Trump, Michelle Obama most admired in 2020. So Donald Trump was the, the most admired man. 18% named Donald Trump as the most admired man. Barack Obama placed a second at 15%. This was the first time I've got this in a yeah, in fact, it says here Trump's first place finish ends a 12-year run as most admired man for Obama, tied with Dwight Eisenhower for the most ever. So Barack Obama had a 12-year run as the most admired man in America. It was ended by Donald Trump in 2020. Let's see, what's the, the date? Okay, yeah, so December 29th, 2020. So this is after the election even. And I, I don't know during what period of time during 2020 they compile that data. But at the end of the year, there you know, Gallup, and I mean, Gallup is as mainstream as it gets. Gallup is, I think, the most famous polling polling company out there. But Donald Trump ended Barack Obama's 12-year run as the most admired man. Joe Biden placed, I think it was it, no higher than third, but he had something like six so, percent. So Donald Trump was the most admired man three times over compared to compared to uh, uh, Joe Biden. But supposedly Joe Biden won the election. Again, you know, this is a data point. Now, we've kind of piled up a few data points, right? So Trump won 18 and 19 Bellwether counties. Trump won Florida, and Ohio, Florida Ohio, and Iowa, which is almost a, a sure thing that you're going to win the presidential election. Joe Biden's rallies dwarf those of uh, Donald Trump's rallies jump, dwarf those of Joe Biden. Trump is the most admired man in America, much more so than Joe Biden was. Now is it possible that all these data points could be interpreted different ways? Yes. None of themselves or even together prove that Trump won the election, but I think taken together, at least in my opinion, this strongly suggests that he did win. Oh, and I didn't even mention that apart from the votes that that Joe Biden got supposedly got in in 2020, that Donald Trump had the largest uh, vote total of any president uh, presidential candidate in history. I think that's interesting as well. And that's after, you know, the guy had been beaten on for four years mercilessly by the press and by the D.C. establishment. And he's still got that many votes. So I think all this data, I mean, just taking this, I mean, and th- there are other things besides just what I've talked about here. But I think these are some high level things that are easily grasped. And I, th- and I think also they're not disputed. Like if you read some of the fact checkers and that, they won't dispute anything that I just told you here. But what they do is they put a different explanation on it. I think their explanation is wrong. I think what I have said here is the is the correct interpretation of this information. That is to say, this is all evidence that Donald Trump did in fact win the twenty twenty election. Now you know we mentioned earlier. You you add on top of that the fact that the Democrats have a long and sordid history of election fraud. You know, think about this is I forgot about this. Yeah. Yeah. The comment that Joe Biden made, he said this is this is a direct quote from Joe Biden. He says, we've put together, I think, the most extensive and inclusive voter fraud organization in the history of American politics. Now, of course, some of the as you might imagine, the the uh, spin that's put on that by the Biden supporters is they say, oh, no, 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 no. He he misspoke. He wasn't saying it was a voter fraud organization. He misspoke. He meant to say it was a you know, vote fraud prevention organization or something like that. I, I tend to think he probably told the truth. Because again, it, it's not, the Democrats have a long history of doing this thing. They have a long history of fraud. Even Jonathan Turley, the Democrat, even acknowledged this. I mean, this is, this is how these guys roll. You know, the party of rum, Romanism and rebellion. You know, they've been doing this stuff for, you know, since the, eight, the 19th century. This is how these guys roll. So no, it's not at all out of character for them to do this. I mean, I think what happened in 2020 was just good old-fashioned Democrat election thuggery, now, the kind of thing that you know, was practiced by Tammany Hall or the Daily Machine or the Curly Machine in Boston or any number of other uh, Democrat, uh, you know, Roman Catholic-dominated uh, Democrat machines, political machines. That's just how these guys roll. It's what they do. I mean, there's nothing at all surprising about that. It has all the earmarks of it. But you're just supposed to shut up and obey. You know. And if you don't, I mean, if you say the things I do, I mean, I don't know. I guess if I were a political candidate, you know, I don't know. Maybe, maybe Jay Inslee wants to throw me in jail. I don't know. Um, at least, thankfully, I'm not in his jurisdiction. So I don't have to worry about it, uh, at least yet. So we'll see here. Anyway, so shut up and obey number three. Of course, this is closely related to shut up and obey number two. And, and shut up and obey example number three is insurrection day supposedly Insurrection Day. Uh, Oh, by the way, I didn't wish I was going to wish everybody a happy Insurrection Day, of course, since it was January 6th this past week. And uh, everyone knows, you know, the story about that, of course, there was a mob of unruly Trump supporters descended on the Capitol with the intent of overthrowing the government. Uh, We all know about that. I mean, that's, that's drummed into our heads every single day. Kamala Harris was out there, This past week, and this is Business Insider, but here's a headline. It says, Kamala Harris compares January 6th to Pearl Harbor and 9-11 in anniversary speech at the Capitol. So, a bunch of people up there, uh, some of whom were unruly. Not everybody, but some of whom were. uh, Without any arms. I mean, nobody had a gun. There wasn't anything like that. Uh, Nobody brought a gun there. But, you know, these people, um, according to Kamala Harris, I guess they threatened the American republic in the same way as the Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor and the the terrorist attacks on 9/11. Now, there there's something about that. Well, there's a lot of things about that that are disturbing. I mean, it's 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 in one way it's kind of laughable, but in in one way that it's also as I said, very disturbing. And what I I mean by that is is what she's implying there. Because of course, the, the 9-11 attack, the Pearl Harbor attack, those were attacks on the United States by a foreign, foreign power, by foreign governments. And it seems to be that she's insinuating somehow that Trump supporters are almost in that same category as if we were the Imperial Japanese Navy or, uh, or uh, you know, jihadists. And she's not the only one that talks that way. You know, the, the Biden administration has openly talked about a war on domestic terror. And the, when they talk about this, there are thinly veiled threats against uh, Trump supporters, against the historic American nation, against you know, people that you would just talk about as being normal Republicans. Uh, in particular, it's against white people. I mean, they, they have a, a distinct hatred of, uh, of Christian white people. I mean, I just say that openly. I mean, that's, that's what it is. And they make no bones about that. They don't even try to pull their punch. They don't even try to hide it at all. Now, here's another example of of, of being lectured by the government. I mean, you know, you're just supposed to accept the narrative. You're just supposed to shut up and obey. Here is another. This is from Breitbart News. Here's a headline. It says, Chicago Cardinal declines lies of election tampering, urges no restrictions on voting. So what this guy wants is he doesn't want you to question the election and I guess he wants all of the the insurrectionists thrown in jail forever, and he wants anybody and everybody, whether they're legal, illegal, alien, whatever, um, to to be able to vote. He doesn't want any restrictions on voting. So if somebody sneaks into the country illegally, yeah, vote all the way, vote of course, yeah, by all means. Uh, let's read through here. Chicago Cardinal Blaze Kupich. Urge an end to the lies of voter fraud in the 2020 U.S. presidential election while urging that no limitations on voting be permitted. Well, we've already been through the, gone through some of the evidence that these things aren't lies. There's some very good evidence out there that suggests there's something that seriously stinks, stinks about the 2020 presidential election. I do not believe that result. But he wants to call them lies. And then he, wants to, you know, he goes on to urge that no limitations on voting be permitted. This morning, I'm, this is quoting the Cardinal. This morning, I reread the statement I put out last January 6th when the world watched in horrors a violent mob attacked the U.S. Capitol in a coordinated, deadly attempt to overturn the legitimate results of a presidential election. Cardinal Kupert wrote on Twitter Thursday in reference to his declaration declining the Capitol riots as violence in the service of falsehood. Well, there were some people that did get violent. Yeah, I mean, that, that's true. There was some of that. Uh, but there are an awful lot of people up there. And, and I'm talking about even people that were in the Capitol that were not. I mean, there there's many pictures up there of people going through the Capitol Rotunda and and they're they've got American flags and they're they're walking through the uh the the rope lines. Well, those aren't people that are exactly bent on wreaking havoc and chaos and insurrecting. You know, I'm sorry, that's a lot of nonsense. You know, I mean, if there were people up there that did things that were violent, that were destructive of property and these kinds of things, well, then those people need to be punished. But there's an awful lot of people, even people who went into the Capitol, that did not go in there with violent intent. And it's very obvious that they did not. And then, of course, the way they're being held, uh, essentially, I guess, I don't know, without being charged, I think in a lot of cases without bond, these people, there's no speedy trial. They've been there for over a year or around a year in a lot of cases. Now, these people are political prisoners, and they're being used as political prisoners. And it is obscene what is being done to them. Now, if they've done something wrong, then they you know they need to be tried, and, and they need to be receive the appropriate punishment. But you know the the way they're being treated right now is uh, is I think it's an outrage. I mean, it's it's sort of another Gitmo. Uh, it's it's like kind of like an American gulag of sorts. And uh, Kupich continues here. We should all agree that those who instigate and participate in such anti-democratic crime should be held accountable. Well, like I say, if somebody did something that was illegal, yeah, they they ought to be held accountable. But what's being done with this is is an outrage. As I said, the 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 fact that there's no speedy trial, the fact that they are being uh, essentially I, I guess apparently a lot of them are in in uh, solitary confinement, maybe all of them are. I mean, there are some real horror stories that have come out. Uh, that have been reported by uh, some of the uh, members of Congress who've gone there and, and visited them. So let's see here. Oh, and then the Cardinal went on to say, Pope Francis' criticism of populism, asserting that it foments anti-democratic sentiment. Well, I think when Pope Francis criticizes populism, what he means is uh, just you know, people who are actually exercising their, their right to speak and to vote and to uh, engage in, in government, engage with government. You know, because, of course, you know the Pope is a tyrant. It's all top-down with him. I mean, all this stuff that he tries to portray himself as a man of the people is a giant fraud. I mean, the, the Roman Catholic Church is a dictatorship. And, you know, the, the last thing in the world that Pope Francis or any other Roman Catholic official wants is people getting this uppity idea that somehow that the, the government is there to serve them. Oh, no, no, no. You're, what you need to do is bow before me. You know, that's, that's the message of Rome. And that's exactly the wrong message, too. By the way, and I'm gonna I'm gonna close with that here in just a moment. I'm gonna we'll talk a little bit about that. So that's uh, that's all we're with with Cardinal Kupich. Let's see if there's anything else here. Oh yeah, there is one last story here, and this is also from Jonathan Turley. I wanted to cover. This is from Jonathan Turley's blog. Uh, here's the headline: Preserve the Narrative. The public rejects the insurrection claim in new polling. So this is from January seventh. So this is Friday, January seventh. This is just from yesterday. This is actually some good news here. And this is what Jonathan Turley writes in the day long events commemorating January 6th. Speaker Nancy Pelosi made a telling statement to her fellow members at the large and the public at large. Pelosi declared, quote, it is essential that we preserve the narrative of January 6th. End quote. Part of that narrative is that this was not a riot, but an insurrection, an actual rebellion against our country. Pelosi's concern over the viability of that narrative is well-based, as shown by a recent CBS news poll. The majority of the public does not believe that this was an insurrection, despite the mantra-like repetition of members of Congress and the media. The public saw that terrible day unfold a year ago and saw it for what it was, a protest that became a riot. For full disclosure, I previously worked as a legal analyst for CBS. So that is, is Jonathan Turley. So I mean, he what he does is he views that as a riot, and and I think that that's fair. Now I would add one thing to that. I also strongly suspect, and a lot of people I have read, and, and I think very credible people, even including people like Ron Paul and Daniel McAdams on the on the Ron Paul Liberty Report, they talked about this. I think the very next day, even about how it looked very suspicious and the likelihood that there were agents provocateur. They were there egging this on. And I think that that's very likely. I mean, this is another case where the government is failing to give full disclosure. There's all kinds of evidence. I think there's something like 14,000 hours of of video that they will not release for whatever reason. You know, why is that? What does that video show? I mean, it's always, they're always hiding something. It's not only they're trying to hide something, they they are hiding something. It's known that they are. And it makes me very suspicious of... Uh, of of the case here. You know, I mean, these, it, apparently the charges that are being brought against some of the people who are held are, you know, things like trespassing or, you know, very kind of minor type charges. I mean, not the kinds of things that, that you might expect if this were a full on insurrection. It wasn't, you know, it was, it was something of a riot and it may very well have been, as I said, egged on by certain people that it would benefit to have a riot. But of course, we're not allowed to know anything about that either, just like you're not allowed to know about COVID, or you're not allowed to have information on the, uh, the election. And you're certainly not allowed to question it, because my goodness, if you do, well, then you might be an insurrectionist too. Just to kind of close things out here today, the Bible, as it does so many times, you know, speaks to the situation where we find ourselves here these days. You know, in describing the type of governments that have existed in most places, in most of human history, this is what Jesus said. This is quoting Jesus. You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them. That's Matthew 20, 25. Now, it used to be understood in America and in the West, in, in other words, you know, countries to which uh, the Reformation came, the Protestant Reformation, that the government was the servant of the people not the master of the people, just like Jesus went on to talk about, as Jesus continues here, quote, yet it shall not be so among you. So, you know, he says, you know, the rules of the Gentiles lord it over them. Yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave, end quote. Now, that's the biblical model for some, what some people they call that servant leadership. It's the biblical model for officers in church government, and it's also the biblical model for officers in civil government as well. That's the biblical model for anyone who is in a a position of uh, of, of governmental authority, whether it's in the family, whether that's in the church, whether that is is in the civil government. I mean, you think of fathers. I mean, fathers are in the position of uh, of, of ruling their homes. But they're not to be tyrants, and there's many verse, there's verses in Scripture that talk about this. It talks about fathers not you know, discouraging their children and uh, loving their wife as they love themselves, these sorts of things. So, I mean, that, you know, there's a, a distinct difference, there's a distinct model, a, a model of, as I said, sometimes people call it servant leadership, that is outlined in the Scriptures that's very different from what the pagan view of government is. As I said, the you know here in the United States, I mean, this was a country that was founded uh, on the principles of the Reformation, on the Scriptures, and we used to understand that, not just in the United States, but again, just in the West generally. But as the, the West has grown less and less Christian and more and more pagan in its thinking, so too has its model for political leadership changed. In the, in the in America, once we had presidents who worked to persuade us, we now have a president who lectures us and tells us, "My patience is running thin." and then turns around and walks off and doesn't even take any questions. Yeah, you know, his patience is running thin with those people who are deeply concerned and refuse to take the risk of being maimed or killed with a dangerous covid vaccine. That is far from the model of biblical leadership. It's the exact opposite of it. Now, these are dark times we're living in. You know, and as Christians, we need to be in prayer for our nation. And we need to be doing the good work of being salt and light in this difficult period. We need to be out there preaching the gospel of of justification by faith alone. We need to be out there serving our neighbors, serving our fellow, the the people we work with, serving our family. We need to be teaching, we need to be rebuking, we need to be correcting from the word of God. That's our job. Those are some of the ways that we can be salt and light. So I want to leave you with that because I know sometimes it can be so very discouraging. It seems like things can be overwhelming, and and there's there's nothing we can do. Well, there's a great deal we can do, and I just encourage you to to be in the Word of God and and to you know pray that that the Lord would show you ways in which you can apply the lessons of Scripture as you go through your day, you know whatever it is you happen to be doing. Well, that's all I have for this week. So thanks very much for, for tuning in. I really appreciate that. Thanks to everybody who is on the, uh, on the live stream. Uh, it's great to have everybody here who's listening to the podcast or, or watching the video. I love uh, uh, getting uh, messages and that from people when they, when they view or questions like that that they, they have maybe about the, the podcast. So it's always great. to Keep those coming. Anyway, until next time, may the spirit of truth guide you in all truth as you read and study God's word.